until my sports psychologist, Simon Hartley, who's a good friend of mine, said, maybe we're overcomplicating this here. Maybe you just have to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as you can. And, you know, my super ego was like, uh, my job's a bit tougher than that, sunshine. Hello, and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. I'm pleased to say that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Lodge Court and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Lodge Court deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retained package that is right for you and your people. Please do enjoy the episode. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Chris Cook on the show. Uh, good morning to you, Chris. Morning, Julian. You all right? I'm very good, thank you. I'm just going to let the audience know a little bit more about you. You are a former competitive swimmer, and you swam for Great Britain in the Olympics, World Championships, European Championships, and have competed for England for the Commonwealth Games as well. And uh, you specialise in, in breaststroke, and you took gold in 50 metres and 100 metre finals representing England at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. And you've also competed at two uh, Olympics, 2004 and 2008. And you are now a motivational speaker and also a business, co- a business coach even. And uh, today we're going to be exploring how to harness the sort of true power of the right mindset, but also by keeping it really simple. And maybe some analogies that come out of swimming, I'm sure we'll talk about that um, and so uh, first question I always ask my guest is, uh, what do you love about what you do, um, Chris? Oh, that, that is a great question. You know, um, wh- when I came out of swimming, I realized that there is a world of possibilities and I started to explore so many different things that I wanted to do and, and nothing was really sticking. You know, I tried a bit of personal training. I tried a little bit of coaching, a bit of teaching, and when I came into coaching in business and speaking on stages, that's when I realized I was ticking the box of what I should have been doing in the first place. And that was helping others. That's the thing I get a kick out of. You know, my clients, some of my clients are now winning awards um, and they're big awards because of some of the processes that we've we've gone through together. And the kick I get from watching somebody else succeed is just as much is just as much a high as it was standing on a podium getting a medal for me, um, because I'm an outer harmony person, Julian. I I like to create harmony wherever I go. Um, so when you you get those two side by side, it becomes a no brainer. But it just took a little while for me to realize. It's, it's great that you're taking you know that almost your I guess your learnings and your mindset that that created what you got within in the swimming world. Uh, but then yeah. flipping in that and then trying to help others achieve success and awards and uh, and do really well. And it's, it's great that you've, you've found that sense of purpose because I think there's always a challenge, I think, with um, mm. any athlete who gets to the sort of pinnacle of their career, you know, certainly in Olympics and golds, medals and things, of what to do next, isn't it? And I think that must be a difficult transition. And, and, and how did you sort of manage that and discover that transition? Because I, I think, there can be a bit of a downer for some people, aren't there? People get really depressed when it's all over and retired. And where's my identity, isn't it? 
Yeah, you know, there's a famous phrase that that athletes die twice, you know, and I, and I didn't hear it until I left the sport, but it's absolutely true, or it felt true for me. Um, I knew nothing about a transition. I don't think anybody was talking about it back then. Um, or if they were, it wasn't as public as it is now. And how I got over it, I I realised I reached my rock bottom one day. Um, I was walking down Northumberland Street in Newcastle. As you can tell from the accent, I'm from the northeast of England. And I was walking down Northumberland Street and I just had this horrible pit of the stomach, awful feeling that just kind of took over my body. Um, I mean, people might say I was having a panic attack. People might say you were depressed. They can label it all they want. My label was I hit my rock bottom right then. And I remember getting in the car to drive home and I realized at that point it couldn't get any worse than I was feeling right there and then. And I started, there was like a corner of my heart that was just started to get excited at, well, if I've reached my rock bottom, there's only one way to go now. And I, and I think that's kind of, that is symptomatic of my personality. You know, even in the darkest times, I'll look for that chink of light. I'll look for that hope and then start the process of taking that hope onto the next stage. And then the next tactic I employed was just allowing myself to fail. You know, I'd, I'd come from an Olympic final. That was my last ever race. And I was trying new things and they were failing. And what compounded it was people were coming up going, what, what is it? What is it you do now? You know, with that tone in the voice, you know, I'm a bit confused at what you are now. Who are you? And and that compounded it for me. I used to go out with friends, go to parties and go, oh, I must have an answer. I must have an answer. And it came from interesting places. And I, and I realized in that moment I was making far too much of it. So I just started to experiment and fail lots. I just failed at loads of things and just thought, oh okay i didn't enjoy that or i failed at that but i really enjoyed doing that i'm going to do it again but this time i'm going to do it different and that's where speaking started to happen i went into a couple of schools went into a couple of businesses before i knew it people were saying well could you come back and do this again but could you speak to this audience and and then it just became this snowball effect um i originally thought it would last a year and now i'm 14 years on <laughs> i'm still going um and, you know, I do pinch myself at some of the comments and the feedback that I get because I get the chance to go back and work with repeat clients, which is just, that's my favorite kind of work because I've got the rapport there. Um, but yeah, that, that it, was a, it was a dark time, Julian. I'm not going to lie. It was a dark time of my life, but a one that I am super grateful of now because I know who I don't want to be. That's interesting. And I'm sure there's probably people listening right now that may be having a whether it's in their business or in a workplace, uh, there may be an athlete, who knows, um, that having a, a dark time of knowing where they're at or perhaps feel a bit rock bottom. When you got to that place and, you, and it felt pretty dark and you, you said you sense you knew that was the bottom, although sometimes we don't always feel it's the bottom. We sometimes, is it going to go any further than this, <laughs> any deeper and darker than this? What did you do uh, what, what, what were the steps that you took that started to get you out of that sort of pit or darkness and start to see some sense of hope? So the first step was realizing what, what strategy I was employing that wasn't working. And the strategy I was kind of employing that wasn't working was a find strategy. So you, you, you often hear people say like, oh, I'm going to go find a new job. Well, 
what happens if you're a creative person and finding is not your thing, but creating is? And it was that, that moment that I sat down and thought, I'm quite a creative person. Yes, I like monogamy. That is my fave. I like defining something, then refining it and just keep that. Pro- I love that process. But actually within that, I love to kind of put my own fingerprint on things and, and just change it up a little bit. So instead of going out and finding that new thing, I started to create it from within. So I sat down and started journaling and writing and working out what what is it that was really stopping us. And I realized in the early stages, it was just information. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was in an unknown, unknown situation. So that's why I was experimenting. And then I started to go back over the experiments and change them a little bit. So I started to realize that actually... I wasn't a type of person to be employed. I'm not, I'm unmanageable, <laughs> some might say. And I started to realize that. Is, is that, is that what am. your coach said to you? Is, it, is that what your coach said to you? <laughs> He's unmanageable. Yeah. Yeah. He, he felt a lot of that pain over the years, definitely. Um, but, you know, he 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 allowed me to put my fingerprint on things with, with his guidance. And that's the guidance that I needed. I just needed to create an opportunity, a new one, in a completely different way without getting in the water and getting wet. And then I started my own businesses and now I've got, I own multiple businesses, um, which are flourishing now. Um, all because I started to acknowledge those questions that I had on the inside and I stopped answering questions on the outside to other people. Um, and like my, my granddad used to say years ago, the most important conversation you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Starting there has to be the very start point has to be the very start point. Start with yourself. You've only got two people to impress, the nine-year-old you and the 90-year-old you. That's the only two people you should ever look to impress. And they all involve the word you. I really like how you you flipped the script on the, you know, fine and, and went to create, and which puts you in control, doesn't it? Because you're the one who's the, the creator. And I think we're all here to create something. We've all got ability to create some people, you know, I wouldn't be myself as what I call creative, um, but I mm. create, you know, creating a conversation on podcasts, creating programs. I think we all have that ability mm. to create. And I, and I like that idea rather than trying to seek something, actually just create it for yourself. And you say you started to do experiments, you started to try things and elements of courage comes into that because it's trying something new takes a lot of well not just effort but also your ego because obviously as you say feelings quite so so how do we how did you take those steps thinking i don't know what i'm doing here or i'm not so sure because it's hard isn't it how could if you were talking to somebody right now who might be listening thinking okay i want to take those steps but i, I just feel it's not going to work how, how do we get over that hump of just giving it a go and even though it may fail although we don't want it to fail what what, mm. what did you do what was your self-talk at that point first i mean there's loads in this firstly there's that spotlight syndrome isn't there that we believe that if we trip over trip up walking down the street that everybody watched it and everybody saw it and everybody laughed at it and actually usually two or three people saw it because they were, everybody else is too busy with a spotlight on themselves worried about tripping up mm-hmm. So I think there's there's a little bit of that spotlight syndrome we need to get rid of is not everybody's counting your failures on mistakes. And if they are, 
it's because their life is really, really boring and mundane and yours is really exciting to watch. So that's a win. I think there's also experiments can't fail. They just give you results by definition. Experiments cannot fail. They just give you results. It's what you do with those results which deem whether it's a pass or a fail. So if I get up on stage and I crash and burn, it's a fail if I never get back up again. If I come back down off stage and go, okay, that joke didn't go down very well, but I'm going to do a different one next time, that's just a learning experience. And you place yourself into a win or learn. Now, that does take confidence. It does take throwing caution to the wind. But I think the key here is to recognize when is your super ego at large, because the super ego cannot be right. It cannot be wrong, sorry. It's, It's always right. And we've all got an ego. An ego is not a bad thing, actually, what I've learned. A superego absolutely is. And if you think about a superego at large, they will not accept feedback. I've been in that position before where I've got, no, no, I know, I know the right way. And you've got a panel of people going, I actually think again, sunshine. You know, so understanding when is the superego stepping in place and the superego will worry about failing, the superego will worry about taking risks. The ego won't so much. It'll hurt, but it's willing to take a risk. And that's the that's kind of the separation that I created in my own rhetoric, in my own head, like you said, flipping the script, to, mm. to just ask myself, which voice is talking here? Is it the one that can't be wrong? Because if it is, that's a dangerous route to go down. It's a dangerous mm. route to go down. Yeah, I, I, I look at... Um, I don't even... I say the words sort of failures. I just see it as feedback. It's it's you try things, experiment. And I think having that sense of every experiment has a result, and and it's yeah. it's the wisdom in that result. What you do with the result, how you how you interpret it, how you move on from that. And really? I think that's a great sort of think way of thinking. And I think it's just seeing it as feedback, and rather than thinking failure, doom, that's it. I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> Actually, what yeah. did I learn? <laughs> You know, and I, I talk a lot about resilience, and resilience for me, is, it's not just about the grit, determination, but it's about the learning piece. When you get knocked yeah. down or sideswiped or whatever it is, what do you learn in that moment? Uh, whether it's a team or as an individual, and I think it's important to take those learning loops, and and it takes time to reflect and to take moments to to do that and to pause. Um, looking back at your 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 swimming career, uh, very successful. Um, what are your, I suppose, lessons in I suppose creating that mindset that unlocks that potential. What what what, what were the lessons you learn or strategies that you've brought now into not only your own life but into others that you work with? Well, I believe we have to build a process that we believe in that we can create and cultivate. You know, yes, it's great permanently borrowing things from other people. I'm, I'm constantly on the rob, on the steel, looking at what other people do, going, oh, that's a great idea for a workshop. Oh, that's a great phrase. I like that. But actually what makes it come alive the most is when I build it into the process and it fits with my philosophies, my my morals, my values. When it fits in with that, that's when it really takes off. So my first lesson, I guess, from sport was I needed to then build a process that I believed in that I could then carve out. And, I, and I'm going through that life cycle again in my own businesses. You know, I'm I'm looking at my processes and going, hang on, something's not quite right here. I'm not getting the results I feel I deserve. So I'm going back over my processes and, and I'm now way more willing to be wrong. And I'm now more willing to be wrong publicly 
You know, I'm willing to hold my hands up and go, do you know what? I dropped the ball. And the interesting part about that is when you start doing that, the people around you trust you even more because they know that when you come to say, actually, no, this is the route we're going to take. They believe in your in what you're saying because it comes from a truthful place because you're willing to, to say, mm. I got it wrong. And as well, what I learned from me swimming was that human beings are really, really good at complicating things. <laughs> we love to we love to convolute things and overcomplicate things and 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 make them into something that they're not. I think assumptions really do kill creativity and they they kill relationships actually when you really look at assumptions. So now I go out in search of the evidence, find the facts, even though I'm not like a facts and figures guy. I see where they have their place. I'm a, more of an emotive person. I, I make judgments. I make decisions based on my emotions. Really, really helpful, but not in every scenario. So dip into the facts and the figures and really get under the skin of it. And the 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 thing I learned in my swimming career that I've kind of transported into business, which is completely transforming things, is just the power of keeping things simple. You know, w- w- why are you in the room? Why are you in the Zoom? Is the question I always ask people. I asked them when they used to come in. I used to go around schools and I've I got a reputation for working with some some of the hardest of characters in schools and even worked in prisons and pupil referral units, which were tough places to get into and work. And they're not an easy crowd. And the first thing I would ask the, the crowd is, why do you think you're in the room? What reason you're in the room? And they would all say, because I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Not the reason I've come in for you today. I've come in to work with you. And the, the look on the face is really shocked because they immediately assume, because they're in that, that environment, that they're in trouble. And then they look across the room and they go, well, he smashed a window last week, so he's definitely in trouble. And maybe I did something wrong. And and the, the, the first thing I say to them, look, is, you know, you get to choose why you're in the room, why you're in the Zoom. So why are you in the room? And, I, and I'll give them five minutes to have a little think about it. Why have you come here? Have you come here because you've been told to? Because that's not an inspired life. Or you're here because there's something that you want to add value to because now we're talking. Now we're talking. And that level of conversation with yourself can be massively transformational. And so building on that, so I guess that that goes a bit of almost people get into that understanding of uh, their purpose, isn't it? You know, why they do something. You know, why do I do what I do, why do, do what you do now. And, and you, you discovered that what you're doing of helping people is obviously create your businesses and your coaching and mentoring and speaking, but is your ultimate mm. purpose is to help unlock that, those, those, those moments in people. Um, was there any other lessons in the sense of that keeping it simple? Cause I think you, I know you, you have a reference to your, you know, your two lengths, don't you? Cause obviously, yeah. Your, your your world was well certainly 100 meters was, was all about two lengths and I, I remember that there was a yeah i think it was a throw a throwaway comment from a a sports psychologist said oh you only do two lengths what's the big deal <laughs> sort of thing which I, I think possibly might have bruised you a little bit um and sort of belittled yeah. what you were doing but um it was that was the moment that that sort of created this simplicity i guess for you it was you know i went through a patch in my career in my swimming where i was massively overcomplicating it you know, the higher up the chain you go, the more stakeholders are involved, the more people want to know what's this athlete doing with the funding. Are we going to get a return in medals on the money we've spent? You know, that you feel that as you move up the chain, you know, 
new levels brings new devils, doesn't it? it? It doesn't matter what industry you're in, as you move up, it brings new challenges. And I was massively overcomplicating it. And in my head, rightly so, it must be really difficult to get to an Olympic final because not everyone can do it. And that was the synergy. That was the thing that I kind of had side by side until my sports psychologist, Simon Hartley, who's a good friend of mine, said, maybe we're overcomplicating this here. Maybe you just have to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as you can. <laughs> and, you know, my super ego was like, uh, my job's a bit tougher than that, sunshine. <laughs> but but actually, when I really de- delved under the hood and we started to explore it, it became a bit of a no-brainer. That was my that was my job, you know. And the question we asked ourselves is: Is what I'm doing here helping me swim two lengths? And that's what I help companies do now is to to narrow down, you know, what what is it? What is it? If you would explain your business to a five year old and hold their attention and make it understandable, what would it be? And you see them going, "Oh, it, it's a bit tougher than that, Chris. It's it, 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 you just don't understand our world." I'm like, okay. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. So I think listening to understand is a really important part of the journey. Listen to understand why did you start in the first place? Have you got shiny toy syndrome? Are you all of a sudden going, oh, we can make money over there? Because that's what business is doing really well. <laughs> we go, let's go grab some cash from over there. Instead of kind of staying on mission and staying on point and becoming absolutely world class at what they do, where they can't be caught. And that's what the two lengths started to do for me. It stopped the focus being on I'm here to beat him and him and start to focus on it's me against me laying down my best. Mm. And the bit that I didn't vouch for, Julian, that's, that came back in abundance. When I finished my career, I thought I'd failed because I didn't get an Olympic medal. So in, in the first few years of retiring from swimming, I thought I haven't got an Olympic medal, I've failed. And it wasn't until about three years into my retirement when I was looking back and I thought, that's the best I could lay down. You know, an Olympic final was the best I could lay down. And I'm really proud of that. Because I'd asked that question, how can I swim two lengths faster? It wasn't, can I swim two lengths faster than him or him? It was, how can I swim two lengths faster? It's a really inward reflecting question. When you start asking that question in business, that becomes your competitive advantage, that alone. That alone becomes your competitive advantage, and I've seen it firsthand now, and I've got evidence now, which is great because I've had some brave businesses go, okay, let's lay down some rubber on this track, and they've done it, and they've not looked back. Have you got an example that you could share, whether you keep the sort of names anonymous, I don't know, that that you've worked with somebody and you've helped them simplify their business and get them to understand yeah what really matters uh, that they've seen this sort of shift in performance as well. Absolutely. So I work with a hospitality company and they've got their, their one line of down to, we make people happy. You know, <laughs> what, what more could you want from that? That that's what they do. And all of a sudden people in the business start to understand it. That is our job. Whatever role we have in the business, we are there to do that one mission. I work with a, a, a kitchen fitting company, a, a national one, and they, their one liner was, we make boxes fit, which I absolutely love because essentially when it comes down to it, that's what they did. They made boxes fit. They're just slightly bigger than the normal ones you get from Amazon. Um, and, and when you start to look at it, there's so many great spin-offs. One is people now have a bit of direction to go, oh, yeah, that's what we do. 
but also they start to understand where they fit into the process and how they can help that. That's a wonderful gift to give back Mm. to the, the team. And then thirdly, whenever it gets really stressful, if you've got a one-liner that you come back to, you go, whoa, hang on a second. We're only trying to make boxes fit here. Or we're only trying to swim two lengths of the pool here. Mm-hmm. It sharpens the focus back to back in the room. Oh, 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 yeah, crikey. Because we often do get distracted by the things out there and the things in here. But this mm-hmm. ultimately is about asking that question to hold our daily actions to account. A symbol. Let's get back to why we're in the room, why we're in the Zoom, why we're here. And if you ask that question in business, how many, if you ask it now, Julian, to anyone, how many people have spent an hour or two or three or four on a Zoom call and gone, that was a waste of time in the last week? It, people go, it's more than three, Chris. It's about 10. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Whose responsibility is that? Is the first question I ask. Who mm. is responsible? to that and they go uh me I'm like yep so let's start that journey that's really good and it, 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 that, that focus is it was almost like focusing on the purpose the mission however you want to term it really and you know i remember working with a company that were, were overwhelmed with 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 work with priorities everything was a priority as it always is in an organization and I, we listed all these priorities, and then we listed we, we put their their mission above that. And I said, mm. which one aligns the mission? And then they'll go, well, that doesn't. So we, we scrub that. Let's move that out of the way. That doesn't. Let's get that one does. Yes, let's do that. And yeah. their priority list got a lot more sharper and focused. Um, you know, I, I look back at the um, I think NASA. Uh, I use this quite a lot. NASA in the nineteen sixty had a, a mission to put a, a man on the moon by the end of the decade. I mean, mm. it's simple, really, isn't it? it? Everybody knew who worked for NASA or was part of NASA, what we're trying to do here wasn't very complicated. And I think we do overcomplicate things uh, and we do make things uh, difficult for ourselves because we feel if it's complicated, it must be really good and sexy and funky rather than just, you know, you know, I've, I've, um, I, I'm part of my local chamber of commerce and we've just come up with a, a purpose to help our members thrive simple as that mm. that's what we're about and everything we do you know you know that's so we did, and we always you always feel that oh that doesn't feel like enough words <laughs> so um, there's, there's a there's a swim coach that i know who's in in our network and, and i've heard through a friend that his simple one-liner in coaching is he creates space for experiences to be had memorable experiences and i love that because in any squad he could have 40 swimmers not everyone's going to make it but everyone can have memorable experiences and i mm. and i love that spin on it that he can still tick the box for every single swimmer in that mm. group because it's not just about the top swimmer yes that's great their medals are awesome and they can make it the the dizzy heights of wherever their talent and their hard work will take them but also what about the other swimmers who maybe don't commit that much but still have some experiences and some memories to create and when, when we sit and we really get under the skin of why we're there often what comes up for a lot of people is they don't know initially but when they do they often realize why they're feeling the grind why they're feeling the this is not quite right and that, mm. it can be a little bit scary that because now they're not talking about what am i getting now they're starting to ask questions about who am i becoming 
Mm. That's a whole different set of questions that, again, can liberate that magical zest of life. You've got to be brave enough to ask those questions. If you want better answers, ask better questions, eh? (laughs) <laughs> absolutely and um and that's why my, my podcast is called helping organizations thrive it, it just hopefully does what it says on the tin i have people like yourself who then create this ways of thriving in various ways and guises um but it, it keeps it quite simple and quite uh, focused in that sense just going back to your your competitive days of, of swimming because i know you're competitive because of, of what you've achieved how do we balance that in the context of business, that sort of competitive mindset, which is all about you know trying to win awards or win get new market share, but also mirroring that with staying mentally healthy and also avoiding sense of burnout? Because obviously, you know, we don't want to burn out as well. So how have you how did you find that in the world of swimming? But and how have you done that in the context of business now? Um so firstly, you know, I always went with the mindset and and I got tripped up on this, but I always went with the mindset that I asked for this. You know, I remember my coach saying this to me once, but just before I went up to race and I was nervous and I was worried. And he said, Oh, look, you you don't have to go up if you don't want to. And I was like, what, what, what are you on about? You know, you don't have to go if you don't want, you you were the one who asked for this. And I was like, no, this is mine to take. And I quickly switched because I realized that actually I was the one creating the pain. I was the one creating the story. I think that's that's crucial. We have control of the story. We've got the pen. We're writing our own chapter. We're in control of our own rhetoric. And that's a really important part when you go into that competition. I think the second part of that is, you know, the most valuable competition you'll ever take part in is the one with yourself from yesterday and the one you create for tomorrow it's really, really easy to look at leaderboards, isn't it? It's really easy to go, we're third. How do we get second? How do we get first? And actually, really, leaderboards have got nothing really of any substance. They might motivate you a bit, but what's the inspiration? Because motivation and inspiration are two totally different concepts. I worked with a law firm years ago alongside Simon Hartley. The pair of us worked with them. And they were all talking about the league tables in law and in the nation and in the Northeast and being at the top. And we just asked them, you know, what 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 significance does that have to the amount of work that you get in? And they had these really long convoluted answers and they spent loads of time climbing up this ladder. But actually, once they started to really question it, they were like, we actually don't know that for real. So they stopped doing it. And they started to ask themselves questions as to how could they improve their service? So the question they started to ask them really was, how can we serve better? So instead of getting up the league table, they got in front of their clients and just went, look, what, hit, stab me in the front here. What, what do I do that's great? What do I do that's not? And they asked their clients and they got gold. They got gold. And then their clients then started to refer to others and they forgot about the league table. And before they knew it, it blasted on past that, that number one spot. But by that point, they didn't care about the league table because the work they were winning had a completely different strategy. And that's that's this shift. It's a, it sounds like a subtle shift, but actually it's a moment, monumental shift from reflecting inwards. The answers to the questions that you've got about how to get better are already around you. They're already around you. They're mm. usually not out there, more in here. Um, 
So to answer that question, competing with yourself is the key. Competing with you yesterday and utilizing and tapping into the talent you've already got in the room, it's vital. And how did you manage that when you were, you know, standing ready to dive in uh, for your race and you're, you're lined up with another, I guess, another seven competitors all wanting to get yeah. that gold medal and that sort of pressure point, which is obviously a pressure point. How did you maintain that competing yourself and doing the two lengths and it's just about me doing better than I did yesterday? How do you keep that sort of rigor in your mindset there? Mm. I think the first part to realize is pressure is a story. You know, it, it's it's not real. It feels real, but it's not real. I remember again Simon Hartley and my granddad used to say this as well years ago. You can't fit pressure in a wheelbarrow in a skip. My granddad used to say in a skip. I think Simon says in a, in a wheelbarrow. You can't fit pressure into it. it. It's not a real thing. You can't touch it, but you can feel it, and that's the difference. And if we go back to the ancestor of that feeling, it'll be generated from a thought and the story that's, that springs from those thoughts. So if we keep tracking that back, we've got control over those thoughts, or at least we've got control over the impact of those thoughts. Hmm. That's where we need to start our focus. You know, walking out to the Olympics, simple things like, you know, yeah, there are a few more mums and dads in that audience than a local Northeast swim meet. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more cameras behind the people behind the cameras. There's billions of people watching. I've got a choice. I can either walk out looking for the differences or I can walk out building on the similarities. The blocks are the same. I've dove off those blocks a million times over around the world and at home. I've the water temperature is the same. It's usually a very similar 26 to 27 degrees, whatever it is. It's usually typical in any race. The the line on the bottom of the pool, the lane ropes, the wall, the length, the distance, all these things are similarities that my brain can walk out and look for. But when you're ill-prepared, your brain goes looking for the differences. Mm. And that kind of brings up the conversation of, are you worried or are you excited? When we're prepared, when we're ready, when we've focused on our process and we know how to deliver it, mm. our body goes out, our brain goes out, sorry, looking for those similarities, building upon them, and it's excited to show the world what it's been doing. And when I think about some of those races that I went up to when I felt ready, they were the ones that I was so excited to just get going. Keeping a lid on that excitement is a skill, same as nerves or anything. Mm. But it's about the story that yourself and about how you manage your energy in that moment that's a very personal thing some people like to get up and bounce around and go crazy get them, you'll slap their muscles and slap their face i wasn't that guy i was already up there i needed to just bring myself down to a certain level and i took time to learn what i needed in order mm. to perform at my best and that's what i'm that's what i'm kind of propositioning here is once you understand how you work you can then start to build in the process to draw out your performance, your best performance. Mm. But essentially, the core of it, this is about getting excited to show the world what you've been working on, not so worried that you start looking for the differences. Yeah, it's it's our, our wonderful bodies or brains has this thing called confirmation bias, which we all know that yeah. you know we we it looks for evidence, and and if you set that evidence for, I don't know, you wake up in the morning and go. Oh, it's going to be a rubbish day. 
He'll go, okay, let's yeah. go and look for the rubbish in the day and he will find it. I'm supposed to, I'm going to have a good day. I feel good about today. I'm grateful, all that type of thing. And you set a more positive and it's similar, isn't it? And I, I like that idea of looking for the similarities as opposed to the differences, uh, which makes you feel more comfortable, more relaxed uh, in that process. And that, that'd be, that's a great thing to think somebody who's going to, I don't know, go into negotiation or going to do some speaking mm-hmm. or presentation or something quite, and uh, pressure is a, a story, but it's something that potentially gives that sense of feeling of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of um, other lessons you've learned in terms of that, that pressure and in terms of preparation, what was your, because life's not about just the moments of, of, of displays and it is the consistency piece, isn't it? It's the ongoing and obviously you would have trained, you know, day in, day out. But what would you be doing in your what I would call brain training as a regular thing? What, what, what were the practices or strategies you did on an ongoing basis? Um, I, I learned to fall in love with the process. And I think that's the most important one, actually, if I'm being honest, is because that's where you spend the most, the bulk of your time. If you think about an Olympic swimmer, I was up there for less than 60 seconds racing, 60 seconds worth of maximum effort once every four years or three times every four years if you go heat semis and finals. Um, It's not a lot of time considering the time you spend plowing up and down the pool, the time in the gym, you know, 30 hours plus if you add in sports psychology, if you add in um, physiotherapy, physiology sessions. It was crazy. It was endless. And it was... It was really difficult to work out when you were done for the day, if I'm being honest. And that, that that's a skill that takes time. But for me, it, it was it wasn't just about understanding how to fall in love with the process. It was understanding how to get the best out of it and what what was it I was there for. So that's where the two lengths really kicked in and and hit home for me, because I, I could ask myself that question. What's going to help me swim two lengths faster today? Is it a gym session? Is it a physio session? What is it that I'm feeling? Now, that's a really inward reflective question. It's not nothing to do with my competitors. Mm. And that's where those questions, I got really good with the help of my coach, with the help of my sports psychologist, with the help of friends and family, of asking those questions that maybe others weren't brave enough to ask or answer. We called it the power of the three A's. You ask it, you answer it, and you action it. And and I've gone around the houses on this. I've brought it into business. It, it can't be beaten. If you ask great questions, if you get the answer and action upon it, it's only a matter of time before you start unearthing your true potential or mm. at least liberating it to sprinkle its magic somewhere. And that, I feel, is crucial. And I like you, you come back to that whole process piece because, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, we get caught up with outcomes, we get caught up with goals. And I think, and I say to a lot of my clients, you've got no control over those. And they always look at me and they think they have, and they haven't really at all. I said, all you've got control of is the, is the your, your, your now, the process you put in place. You know, if you go, if you look, talk to a, a Marine, they talk about the, the meter square. They don't talk about, yes, they know where they're going and all that sort of stuff. That's important. But they they talk about the meter square. That's all they can control. What's can, what can I do in this meter square that I'm walking to and stepping into? Uh, and I think it's important to, to do that, to know that. 
and that's the most we're in control of is in the now, in the moment, in the present, not in the future uh, at all. Um, and so, yes, we have goals and things to aim for, but it's the process piece is that. And also, by getting involved in the process, you enjoy the journey a lot more. So you're not so sighted onto the the long haul of things and the things in the future. You get in the moment and you enjoy. And I'm sure you know you had as much as swimming every day. You know. For me, it feels like a lot to what you did, but you probably start to enjoy that swimming more and, and actually in, in the day in the gym and everything else. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Chris, and I really thank you for all your insights. Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, some really good sort of old nuggets. If people are interested to get to know you, connect with you, how's the best way of doing that? Yeah, so um, my email address is info at chriscookgb.com and my website is chriscookgb.com. I'm on Twitter, Chris Cook GB, LinkedIn. Um, love using LinkedIn now. So feel free to reach out, drop me a message. Well, brilliant. Thank you for your time today, Chris. Uh, thank you, Julian. I've loved this. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com.